Hello and welcome to the latest Totem Talk, the podcast for HR professionals, L&D people and anybody vaguely interested in business or psychology. My name is Mark Smith and today I am joined by the legendary Helen Fruin. Legendary, I like it. I've been a unicorn, a legend, I quite like it. It's good. It's a good opportunity to get compliments, maybe we should do more. Why not? Absolutely. Um, today's topic is silo working. Mm. Mm. Let us not work together. Let us not work together. Let us put walls between us and work on our own. Absolutely. We, we could try and build a bigger barrier, I yes. think. The, the microphone cover is not big enough. We need a wall between us. We need a us. wall between us. Um, would you like to start? Well, I guess the reason we're doing this podcast is because most of our clients have at some point said why is it so hard? Why is collaboration or teamwork this really difficult thing? And how can we actually get people to break down those silos and work together better? So I guess it's interesting for us to chat about that. It certainly is. And I think it's doubly interesting for me because we are often guilty of working in our own silos here. So we are, you know, we're not sin free when it comes to silo working. So but we are allowed to talk about it here and we can say things we might not be allowed to say in another <laughs> setting. Like your department drives me crazy, is that yeah. where we can go? Uh, but you've had different experiences because you used to work in manufacturing. So you've seen quite a different side to silo working from perhaps my experience being very office based and silo working in terms of HR departments. Tell me about your manufacturing experience of this stuff. So. I mean, it's the same as in any other organisation. I think it was amplified possibly a little bit more. So um, having worked now in finance, I can say that the finance department is often misunderstood. People think we're just about the numbers and we're going to say no, no matter what you ask for, it's just going to be a no. Um, And that's really common, right? We've got so many friends, colleagues, clients who work in finance and we hear that all the time that... And I hear the same thing about the legal department, that they're always seen as the the bad people, the people who always say no. That seems like a really common perception. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then on the shop floor, most most production environments, you're working sort of 12, 14-hour shifts. You're in before everybody else. You leave after everybody else. So all of these office workers who swan in, in their shiny shoes, working flexi time, they have got no clue what hard <laughs> graft is. So, they just don't work hard enough, that's the thing. Well, or, or they get all the perks and we get given, what, you know, double overtime. Right? Who cares about that? I want to go to the pub. So, yeah, I think in a manufacturing environment, the, the difference between departments is is more exaggerated. Mm. But it's not, not, it's not entirely different to an office-based environment. Sure. And I think for me, what was interesting is working in an HR team where you had five different HR teams for five different brands. So then of course you've got the kind of fighting for resources and who's who's gonna get the priority for the budget or again, many of our clients working within an HR department where you've got potentially L&D wanting budget for learning and talent wanting budget for doing some succession planning, recruitment wanting some budget for particular software. So you then get the silo working in terms of, yeah, 
who gets prioritised for resources and fighting over those resources. So I guess it's worth talking a bit about where silo working comes from from a psychological perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think there's two things that strike me. One is in-groups, out-groups, and one is a kind of egocentricity point. So I guess with the in-groups, out-groups, it's like when we're part of something we feel like, well, I'm part of this group and we're all individuals within this group and we all respect each other and we're really good. Uh, but there's there's individual difference within our group. Whereas you lot over there, you're all the same and you're all evil and you're all, you've got some agenda that I don't like. And so it's the assumption that my group is a group of individuals and we're interesting, whereas your group is nasty and all the same. And that's the kind of in-group, out-group theory within psychology that I think we play out in silo working so let me put this in different language yeah, yeah let's go for a different tact yeah you're a derby fan oh why would you say that out loud because football teams is a really interesting example of in groups out groups now when you think about your friends who are derby fans you probably think of yourselves as individuals whereas if I asked you what you think about Nottingham Forest fans mm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I completely. So I understand. I understand it. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I understand what you're saying. Uh, so there's something about thinking my group of people is okay, and, and like you say, maybe it's not they're all nasty or they're all this, they're all that. But as you said, a lot of people think of finance as just the numbers people, just the people who say no. Uh, I've had a lot of people talk about legal departments, like they're literally there to take all of your best ideas and tell them, tell you why they can't work. So there's this assumption of the entire department being negative, which is a bit of this in-groups, out-groups psychology. And do you think the way that we've constructed, I mean, many offices now are constructed in a way that you have this team over there and this team over there. So even physically, you're now separated. And when, you know, a walk from production into the finance department, you know, you had doors to go through. It was, you know, it was locked down and there was a, you know, there were as a physical yeah. barrier in terms of penetrating which is interesting now because with agile working a lot of offices have moved to these open spaces hot desking so actually the idea is that you might be sat next to someone from legal someone from finance someone from manufacturing someone from sales and that this will promote collaboration but as most people have experienced with agile working what happens is departments claim areas and they're like well I know HR aren't supposed to all sit together but we've blatantly all claimed these desks so you still get those divides anyway. And I, I couldn't work in an agile environment because I need to have my toys on my desk obviously they're all moved for the podcast but tidy desk tidy desk people <laughs> without my toys I'm I do struggle actually so I guess in a sense I'm building my own kingdom here yeah and when I've built my kingdom, I'm going to defend that. Yeah. And anybody who gets in my way is going to get my frowny face. And I guess that kind of comes to my second thing about the egocentricity. Mm. And I don't know if that's the right word. Egocentricity means uh, we, we think of ourselves as the center of the universe. So uh, silo working, if, if I extend that idea, silo working is that I'm only focused on myself. I think I'm the center of the universe. Everything that I think is important, you should think is important. That's maybe not the right term here, but certainly some level of, I know my stuff. I know, so if I work in learning and development, I know my expertise in L&D. I know what the agenda is for L&D. I know what my priorities are. I therefore focus more of my energy on those things rather than looking at 
what are the broader business goals? And uh, one of my client groups in L&D is the finance department. But what have I done to understand the finance department's goals and what they're interested in? And if I need to get a new piece of L&D software signed off through legal and IT, have I thought about what their department's goals are and what their priorities are? We tend not to do that because we're focused on our stuff. And we often talk in management about what gets measured gets done. So I'm going to be measured in L&D on what I've delivered in L&D. Nobody's measuring me on how well I've understood the department goals of IT or finance. So there's something about, do we call it egocentricity or tunnel vision for your own thing, or just that because I'm working to my own targets, that's what I'm delivering. Whatever you want to call it, there's that natural, this is my world and I'm, as you say, this is my kingdom, I'm defending it. But there is an irony in that behavior and applying those metrics to people's behavior. So when we're assessing people in uh, for development centers or for recruitment, almost universally, the people who are being selected are the people who can step back and yep. say, what is the broader business goal? Yes. I can see the departmental goal and I can see my individual goals, but those who step back and say, whoa, whoa, actually, I do need to incorporate, I do need to involve other st- stakeholders, they're the ones who are, who are getting the tick in the box because that's what the clients are looking for. That, when, when you talk about competency frameworks, I, I can almost guarantee that if you have a competency framework in your workplace, somewhere it will say stakeholder management. Collaboration, teamwork, breaking down silos, absolutely, it's in every framework. And so when you say there's kind of irony in there, I, I don't think it is ironic to say that what businesses are looking for when they're recruiting we don't often get from our existing teams or what we look for in recruiting doesn't always translate to what you deliver six months into the role where you've developed your kingdom and you're now defending it. So there's some divide between, yeah, what we recruit in for and then what we get a bit later. So I guess if we were to share some top tips on breaking down some of the silo working, what have you seen work well in your experience? I think for me, it's about being a walker. I like going for walks. And I think in any office environment that I've worked in, I love getting a cup of coffee and just going and mooching around, saying hello to people and almost invading their personal space because they have to stop and talk to me because I'm a nice guy as well. I mean, you know, I'm going <laughs> to smile and joke with you. Um, but understanding what people are, other people are doing and not judging that or, or, or just being curious about what they're doing mm. and building those actual relationships with people is has been for me the best way to break them down i'm currently reading kim scott's book um radical candor radical candor yeah and in there she made this really salient point about professionalism right and professionalism is all well and good but it is a it is a very good way of building up a facade and a right. wall in front of you that you present to people and it, it it restricts people from coming into your social circle and you you can't really build decent relationships with people when you're an ultra professional mm. um, if you relax that a little bit and you find out what someone's been doing at the weekend you find out what they're up to it's it's a doddle yeah and it gives you the permission to then say to that person maybe a few weeks later, well, you know what, I could really do with X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And quite it's that, that that generates 
business for us. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to go to other people and say, have you have you got any way of connecting us here or doing this? And it's, it's the interpersonal play yeah. in the workplace that's important, I think. So there's something really big there about building those informal relationships. It's not like... Um, Hello, Mark, I'd like to book a meeting with you to talk about something, please. It's getting around the office. And of course, during lockdown, that's interesting because you're not going to bump into anybody. But could we perhaps say, you know, I noticed you were on this Zoom call earlier. Could we catch up about things? Uh, Just some informal chat opportunity that we can make remotely as well. Uh, But certainly in an office environment, to do that walking around to build the informal relationships really makes a difference. I think the thing I would add as well is based on what you were saying before about what we look for when we're recruiting is that stepping back, thinking bigger picture. So almost reminding ourselves, maybe it's just at the beginning of each month, maybe the beginning of each week. Yeah, I know what my job is, but what is the broader business goal at the moment? What are the, some of the departments that are my stakeholders? What are some of their priorities at the moment? Let me just remind myself of that so that when I'm speaking to those people or speaking to my manager, I've got that broader context of what the rest of the business is working on. And that empathy or understanding for what other people are working on can really help us to break out of our own silos. Mm. Anything else you found particularly helpful in your work? Um, the, the social. As cheesy as it is, I think, you know, obviously the Christmas party is a standalone event where we can all make fools of ourselves or at least watch one of us make a complete <laughs> fool of ourselves. Someone's always going to do it. Absolutely. Um, but particularly at Toyota, um, two different shift patterns. The, the, you would never meet each other naturally. But there was an opportunity every other Friday or something, and it it, it just grew out of a suggestion from somebody. But we, we played football. The two shifts would come together and have a, have a kickabout with each other. And it was an opportunity for everybody, regardless of, of your standing within the business, to just have a bit of a social, bring your family along. Um, watch the wives all start screaming and it, it, was, it was a good laugh but the point was or is that it was post and pre-football match where people would have those informal conversations right. about actually Dave do you know what I've been trying to get hold of you for this right. or or you know I've, I've been I've been thinking about doing this on, on on over on this line what do you think those those conversations would happen far more organically far more confidently in that environment than like you say the formal environment and I think it's it's if you can incorporate some kind of social event into your working environment I think it's a, I think it's a winner uh, pizza was a winner as well yeah you know, Friday afternoons everyone just has a pizza it just takes two or three hours off and I think there's a good case I don't think there's any research I would love to know if it's true I think there's a good case to say that productivity goes up because of that, instead of having people slaving over their desks on a Friday afternoon, everybody wants to clear off, let's be honest. Um, just throw a couple of pizzas at them, let them mingle, um, and maybe get some, I think we call them conversation catalysts. Right. Helen, I, I can imagine everybody can guess that Helen is a conversation <laughs> catalyst. So if you throw people like Helen into a mix, preferably with a glass of Prosecco in her hand, Absolutely. she will get people talking and she will draw out good conversations between people. And I think that comes back to your first point earlier, which was about 
getting into people's space and saying hello if you're curious and you want to go and chat to people and say how was your weekend how how's your work going what's keeping you busy at the moment it's one of my favorite questions to ask people just what are you working on at the moment or because i know if i ask how are you people are always going to reply with the word busy what's keeping you busy what are you working on tell me about that what are you enjoying most what are you finding most challenging i'm just being curious that's the conversation catalyst is just being curious I think these suggestions work for extroverts. So, okay, I spend a lot of my time helping introverts think about how they do networking. Mm. And for introverts, often the challenge is, you know, extroverts like talking. I don't like talking so much. So if I'm going to go into a networking environment, I feel like I've got nothing to say. And so I don't know what to do. Actually asking questions is really powerful because the attention is not so much on you. The focus is not on you coming up with something interesting to say or funny to say. The focus is just on you being curious. And by you asking those questions, you tend to get a conversation out of that. So I would argue that they're just as useful for introverts. So it's a question of, it's open questions effectively what you're trying to teach somebody to ask. Sure, yeah, taking an interest in someone and, and finding out like you say, open questions, open up the other person's talking. So it starts a conversation. So I guess overall then on silo working, we can see where it comes from. We know we've all been there. We know we've all, and as you say, even within our own organization, sometimes coming at it from the sales focus versus coming at it from the finance focus, we sometimes clash on that. And just taking the time to understand what is your perspective? What is your agenda or your priority? And where can we find common ground? That's probably the thing we've not talked about so far is remembering that we all want this business to succeed. Let's remember the bigger business goal, find our common ground and then work out a way forward. That's ultimately how we break down silos and collaborate. Mm. I mean, as an example, I think between us, it's sometimes it's being painfully honest. Yeah. Um, and acknowledging where the other person is currently getting defensive. So quite when we talk about kingdoms, mm. sometimes our kingdoms do need to have a little bit of a, a battle with mm. one another. And as long as we remain focused on the bigger business goal and recognizing that the person in front of me has their own agenda as well, and it's not my agenda, um, it, it enables you to have quite truthful and honest conversations about any decision that you're trying to make. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to get that completely wrong and you're going to need 10 minutes just to go and breathe it out and just <laughs> maybe go and you know, punch a teddy bear or something. <laughs> Poor teddy bear. Poor teddy bear. <laughs> but it, 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 is, it is useful. I think the honesty piece is, yeah. is underestimated quite often. And I think a lot of people are scared of being honest in the Absolutely. workplace because you, you don't want to tell your boss what you think of them. <laughs> Although I probably would, which is why I'm unemployable these days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think there will be many more podcasts to come on having honest conversations. So, All fingers crossed. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, let's wrap up there. Thank you very much. As always, if you're enjoying these podcasts, finding them useful, then make sure you subscribe to our channels either on YouTube or whatever platform you're watching on. Thanks very much.